0: Join me in the Mojave Desert for a test of PlanetVac, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. And with a special episode this week, did you hear our March 7 show that introduced PlanetVac? Bruce Betts and I visited Honeybee Robotics, where this innovative and radically simple way to collect sample material from the surface of another world was invented. But even the cleverest invention is worthless unless it can prove itself in the real world. On May 17th, Bruce and I set out for the Mojave, 90 miles due north of Planetary Society headquarters in Pasadena, California. Our destination was Masten Space Systems where a fully-functioning Planet VAC unit has replaced a foot of Maston's Zodiac rocket. Founded in 2004 by Dave Maston, the small company won the Northrop Grumman Lunar X Challenge in 2009 through the precision flying of its ZOE rocket. Nine more years have passed. Maston now has the Zodiac vehicle. That's Zodiac with an X. The Zodiac has flown five times in a single day, It's part of Masten's progress toward the XL-1 rocket that will be capable of landing 100-kilogram payloads on the Moon. Actually, the Zodiac that Bruce and I went to see has had all four of its feet replaced by PlanetVac hardware, but only one of these was connected to the gas supply that enabled it to suck up or rather blow loose Mars simulant material into a small sample container. Bruce and I arrived at the Mojave Air and Spaceport shortly after 7 a.m. Soon we were standing in what Maston calls its aviary, the high bay, where rockets are assembled and tested, short of actually igniting the engine. Launch coordinator Ruben Garcia was about to begin a safety briefing for the rocket crew and assorted guests, including a video crew and other representatives from NASA and the Planetary Society's own videographer, Merck Boyan. The briefing would cover a long list of technical precautions, but there were other considerations I wasn't expecting. Drink
1: water, please. Use
0: sunblock if you need it. We are going to be out
1: in the sun for those who haven't been out to the test site. It is an unimproved test site. There is no shade structure for you. Comms brief. We're on these open radios. There's actually a lot of aircraft, uh, airport activity today, You know, our testing and then other tenants. Uh, keep it on topic. Keep it professional. We don't ever have an issue there. If we have to resolve a technical, we'll do it by cell or we'll meet face to face depending on where we're at in the checklist. Watch out for wildlife. Weather has been up and down, up and down. Um, we have venomous snakes out here, we have spiders, uh, all kinds of critters hiding in the cracks. Uh, look where you're leaning, when you're leaning against the wall, when you're reaching in for something. You know, look before you stick your hand in there. They don't like us, we don't like them. Leave them alone if you see them. Don't harass the animals. Uh, if we encounter something that we can't move, we're not going to move rattlesnakes. We've had them out there. We're going to stand down We're going to call airport security and have them come out. They have a rattlesnake removal team. They'll come out and do it. Uh, hopefully, we've been active enough that they found other places to go and have a tape. They don't want to be our test site because it's too loud. Call a hold. If anything's unclear, that's hold, hold, hold. Call a hold for any safety concern. Again, that's hold, hold, hold. And if you hear a hold, 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 and this goes for everybody, whether you're a guest or you're managing the team, stop what you're doing, don't proceed to be given clearance. If we have to evacuate the test site, the Hallitude Bunker will be our first rally point. If the Hallitude Bunker is compromised, the, the Western Roadblock will be our alternate rally point. For our guests who have not been out there, make sure we take the time and confirm that they understand where each of those two points are. Use the roads to get there, don't run through the desert unless the road itself is compromised. The desert is riddled with holes from the squirrels and other animals who roll an ankle and become a casualty. Uh, use the roads, the improved roads, the graded roads. Justin and Catherine are doing the honeybee payload ops work. And it'll be one radio for the two of you. Your call sign just honeybee. I'm excited. Uh, I don't smile, so <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, everybody can test that. This should be a fun day. Enjoy it. Please make sure you have earbuds. Once we get ready to light the engine, it is louder than to be expected. It's a little rocket with a big noise.
0: With Ruben's safety briefing completed, we were ready to roll out onto the desert. Bruce, tell me, where are we headed? I have no idea, but there's gonna be a rocket
2: flight there, and it's gonna be near Mojave, California.
0: And we're in a caravan following
2: we're following the Zodiac rocket on the back of a trailer, and uh, I believe they've got liquid oxygen hanging out in the pickup bed. So it's not your usual caravan, at least not for me.
0: It was a beautiful morning. There would be another hour or two before Zodiac was ready to fly. In the meantime, I introduced myself to the founder of Mastin Space Systems.
3: Uh, I'm David Maston, I'm the founder and chief technology officer of Mastin Space Systems.
0: Honored to meet you. I, I love the artwork that your uh, rocket does in concrete here.
3: Uh, yeah, we like to call it a uh, trinitite without the radioactivity.
0: <laughs> I know. It is, I said to somebody, it's like a miniature
3: nuclear site. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, we're putting a large amount of, of heat and uh, pressure on a small spot, and that's essentially what you do with a nuclear weapon, And uh, although that might be a large spot, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we just we heat the stuff up to you know the point the concrete is actually melting, and, uh, and that's just because we've turn on the rocket engine even looks kind of glassy yeah yeah it is i think it's beautiful which means basically the rocket's doing what it should exactly it, it means that everything's going correctly right behind us here they're about to put one of
0: your rockets on the pad and we'll be watching a test in a few minutes is this as exciting as ever
3: well it's always exciting to see a rocket launch but one of the things we're actually I actually started the company to do is to make rocket launches boring
0: <laughs> yeah
3: like this should be so regular so often occurring that it just becomes a regular part of life not it's something exciting I mean, I mean our aviation geeks myself and many of my friends included who do get excited by 747s taking off but most of the world doesn't and that's what that's the way we want it for rockets I remember an old cartoon
0: back when we thought the space shuttle was going to be flying all the time and very cheaply. And it was a cartoon in the L.A. Times. And it was two guys sitting on their front porch in rocking chairs. And there's, you know, a shuttle going up behind them or actually landing. And it's the guy says, well, there's the 507.
3: (laughs) Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do is is we'd like to do it. Book a ticket 24 hours before you fly. And it's not a big deal. And, you you know, hopefully maybe even pay cash for it. (laughs) Space is hard, rocketry's hard. It's been a long road getting to here. And we've got a long road to go yet, but uh, we're making a lot of
0: progress. How do you feel about not only your progress, but just the progress of the industry and where we're headed with this this ultimate plan for a rocket like that or one of, uh, one of its descendants in the not too distant
3: future making trips to the moon? We're preparing to actually make trips to the moon very soon. Um, I believe uh, NASA is talking about the early 2020 time frame, um, possibly 2020 or 2021. Uh, and we're hoping to be able to participate in that. Otherwise, I mean, in terms of overall timing, honestly, one of the things about aerospace that we've learned over and over again and we see over and over again is you say two years and it takes five or more I guess I'm going to be cautiously optimistic about how, how we're moving forward. But still, you could see
0: things moving forward.
3: Oh, yeah, we're definitely seeing things moving forward. I mean, uh, between our own uh, demonstration of, of reuse of a rocket, uh, we have uh, one vehicle that's done over 227 flights, no major repairs or rebuilds. We're seeing SpaceX landing and reusing their rocket boosters on a regular basis. Uh, we're seeing Blue Origin uh, coming up to that. They've uh, just finished their eighth flight uh, well, a week or two ago. Overall, I mean, the field's looking really good for actually getting around to, let's get the reusability down, let's start working on operability.
0: Thank you, Dave. I, I hope to talk to you again when uh, when you're on the moon. Thank
3: you.
4: Radio check. You Op copies. Right? Video, radio check. Video copies.
1: Ground crew, radio check. Ground crew copies. Engineering support, radio check. Support one, check. Support two, check. Copy that and Honeybee radio
4: check.
0: Honeybee copies. That last voice belonged to Justin Spring, the Honeybee senior project engineer we met last March. We'll soon hear from the other Honeybee engineer we talked to back then. Catherine Lucek carried the simple wireless remote that would tell Planet Vac to begin collecting once it had been flown to the right spot by the Zodiac. That target was a low bin Justin and Catherine would carefully fill with Mars simulant and then groom with tender care.
4: Once it's all full and flat uh, and we're happy with it, we'll smooth it one last time uh, and then we will get out of the way. The Mastin folks know not to disturb the simulant. Ruben likes it nice and flat uh, just so he can tell what happened during the flight. So, for example, when it a plume leaked through here you could see a little divot right here and that was really our only sign that it had actually leaked through. We're putting the Mars Mojave simulant into the sample bin uh, so that we have an area for the planet back to land. Yep.
0: It's not all just going to blow away out here? No, it's no, not uh, quite. <laughs>
4: surprisingly stable. Uh, it, you will see a lot go. of dust.
0: Probably don't want to breathe this stuff, right? No.
4: There's much more aggressive simulants that have glass bits in them, and then you really don't want to breathe them.
0: What is that high-tech leveling tool called?
4: Broom handle. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get some more on the, the back side there.
0: I've heard of engineering sandboxes, but I didn't know it was this literal.
4: This is a, a literal engineering sandbox. Uh, Mars sandbox. Uh, just in case there's anything off, but the Maston rocket's very, very good at landing precisely. That's what they do. Uh, so we'll see that it's probably going to land the sampling cone right about here uh, with the back shell there. Last time it landed, it bounced back just a little. Uh, Phil, let's add some more up front here, and then we should be good.
0: We moved behind giant concrete blocks about 100 yards from the launch pad And watched while the mast and ground crew attached a protective tether to the top of the rocket and filled the Zodiac's oxidizer tank with liquid oxygen. There would be two flights. The first would move Zodiac only a few meters to where it could drop planet back into the waiting test bin full of simulant. After several more careful checks and with our earplugs firmly inserted, it was go time. I've compressed what you're about to hear to save time.
4: The candidate is start 6, Six five, four.
1: Three, two, one. ignition
0: Okay, that was awesome. It
4: is. It's really, really cool. So
0: slight.
4: Slight there. Stop
1: the yeah. Yeah. Honeybee, go ahead and coordinate with ground crew and do your test.
4: Ground crew, let me know when you're ready.
1: Ground crew is ready at the vehicle. On
5: your
4: mark. Sampling in three, two, one. There it goes. Woo-hoo. Yeah. That dust means we're getting stuff. It looks like good sample at the vehicle. Honeybee confirms, we can see it from back here. Looks great. Woo, woo, woo. Okay,
1: safety ops and video. Let's confirm that the vehicle is in a good position for return
4: flight. Are you hyped now? I'm hyped. Yes! <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that looked exactly like it ought to look.
4: That looked exactly very like it ought to for uh, return flight. Uh, the vehicle did turn a little on the way down, but uh, I think we're fine. Yeah, so if we if we had seen nothing uh, of, of the, the gas coming out, that maybe meant that it didn't go out. Well. But because we saw all of that dust coming out, that means there was dust in the sample container to be blown out. Uh, so my best guess is that thing's gotta be pretty full.
1: Three, two, one ignition.
0: Zodiac had returned to its original position on the now glowing pad. It would be a few minutes before we could learn if PlanetVac had done its work. I walked back to a beaming Dave Maston. He was with Mastin Space Systems CEO, Sean Mahoney. Like Successful test? Nominal?
3: Looks nominal to, from here.
5: It's uh, just another day in Mojave.
3: Congratulations, guys. Thank you. Um, I would say that... Uh, I mentioned at one point that I was hoping to make everything boring. Unfortunately, my heart rate still goes up every time we fly.
5: <laughs> it's just rockets. <laughs> that was thrilling. It really was. The, it's it's the team here that's making all this stuff happen. So, uh, the folks you got a chance to talk to today, the engineers, uh, the people who are supporting actually making this thing happen. The, the members of the Planetary Society that are supporting, the folks at NASA that are supporting, there's a lot of people that are behind the scenes that uh, really help all this happen. So it's still very exciting, so. <laughs> that is the sound of liquid
0: oxygen being vented from the oxidizer tank on uh, the Zodiac vehicle. Now that it has completed very successfully, apparently, those, those two flights, and in a few moments here, the honeybee folks will uh, go out and collect their dirt. At long last, we were allowed to approach the now inert rocket. Still hot under there, huh?
4: Yeah, it's still hot. Uh, you can do the old spit test and see if it sizzles. So we're going to wait till these guys take their photos and such, and then we're going to pull out our sample container and see what we got.
0: It almost still looks molten there. I guess just yeah, yeah. turned to, turn to glass.
4: Yes. Concrete turned to glass.
0: So, tell me what Justin's doing now.
4: Justin is removing the sample container from the back of Planet Rex so we can see how much we collected. Here it comes. Oh boy! Let's see. That's pretty full there. I'm super stoked, guys. This is a great sample, Uh, Mastin. Great job. Woo hoo! Yeah. Uh, Thank you for uh, bringing this home donors thank you very much this is this is on you uh yeah we're super excited we're going to take it back to the to the shop and get a read on how much this is exactly but this is a success way to go go planet vac planet vac,
0: planet vac exceeded expectations collecting more than 300 grams of mars simulant that morning it would do it again a week later in front of other guests, including Planetary Society members and others who had contributed to development of the system. Will PlanetVac someday be sent to the Moon, to Mars, or even beyond? That question can't yet be answered, but Honeybee Robotics and in Space Systems have demonstrated that it is up to the job. I want to thank both companies for allowing all of us to witness this test in the Mojave Desert. We should also thank NASA for its support of the work, After a break, we'll talk with Mastin CEO Sean Mahoney about the opportunities that have opened for a small rocket company at the dawn of commercial space development and exploration. This is Planetary Radio.
6: Where did we come from? Are we alone in the cosmos? These are the questions at the core of our existence. And the secrets of the universe are out there, waiting to be discovered. But to find them, we have to go into space we have to explore. This endeavor unites us. Space exploration truly brings out the best in us. Encouraging people from all walks of life to work together, to achieve a common goal, to know the cosmos and our place within it. This is why the Planetary Society exists. Our mission is to give you the power to advance space science and exploration. With your support, we sponsor innovative space technologies, inspire curious minds, and advocate for our future in space. We are the Planetary Society. Join us.
0: Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan, returning to Masten Space Systems in California's Mojave Desert. We had lots of time before beginning our trek to the rocket test site. I used some of that time to talk with Mastin CEO Sean Mahoney. Here's our intriguing conversation. Where are we right now?
5: I like this big room. It's uh, great for radio. Excellent. Well, it is uh, what we call the aviary. It's uh, the building that we use for our free-flying vehicles once they've been constructed and are ready to fly. So we've got a couple of bays here where we can store not only our legacy vehicles that have flown hundreds and hundreds of times, uh, including uh, the newest vehicle, which is uh, Zodiac, which we're working on today. And this is the one that has that one funny foot out of the four there. It has. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things about Zodiac. In this case, I uh, got a new pair of shoes. This is the another rehearsal on our uh, flight operation to actually do a sample. So we're working with Honeybee Robotics and their PlanetVac system that will is designed to be able to put on a an extraplanetary vehicle and without having to deploy something actually be able to collect a sample uh, and then can be processed and used for whatever else tell me more about this this vehicle this rocket Zodiac is the fifth free-flying rocket-powered vehicle that Masten has built and flown if folks are have been following the Development of reusable rockets. Mastin won the Northrop Grumman NASA Centennial Challenge Lunar Lander Challenge X Prize. I I well done. <laughs> I think I got all of them in there. Uh, back in 2009. Uh, and for that, we actually built and flew two different vehicles. The first was Zombie, and the second was Zoe. Since that time, Zombie has been upgraded and retrofitted and her flight envelope was expanded from the 50 meters by 50 meters that we did for the LLC, the Lunar Lander Challenge, to uh, flying, I think her max altitude was over half a kilometer and Hmm. uh, 750 meters downrange. Zoe, unfortunately, did burn up on the pad the day before it won first place in the Lunar Lander Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a whole nother story about how we rebuilt the vehicle overnight uh, in order to be able to go back out and compete and win that X Prize. But then we've built another series of, of vehicles to allow us to go higher, to allow us to go faster, and 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 primarily to find ways that we can serve customers now. And Maston has had a real focus on making sure that we're able to create value with the services that we have. And so um, when when I joined the company, I didn't even realize, I didn't know we would be doing Planet VAC. But we did know that a reusable rocket changes the game. It changes the way you do development. It changes the cadence. It changes the timing. It can change the pace of space development. Zombie and now Zodiac uh, are the vehicles that we use where we can bring out people that are developing science instruments, that are developing um, exploration technologies, that are developing uh, prospecting technologies, they can get actual flight experience on a rocket-powered lander, which is a very unique thing, because nothing lands quite like Hmm. a rocket lands.
0: I remember that competition. I remember what you guys had to go through to win that first prize. There was a lot of competition and a lot of those teams that just couldn't pull it off, which once again says, I mean, I guess we're not actually in space right now, so maybe not space is hard, but rocketry is hard.
5: Rocketry is hard. Uh, and my background, I'm, I'm more from the entrepreneur and emerging market space from the than from the space space. Now, I've been here at Maston longer than I've been anywhere else, so I guess I am now. My friends have told me, I, I, I can't say I'm not a space guy, but my origins did not come out of the space world. And it is difficult. Um, It's extremely difficult in the world of making a business out of space. And we have been fortunate to be successful as long as we have. Um, We've seen great companies that have come and gone. And it's really, it is really difficult. There is no silver bullet. Um, You can always look at a situation and say, oh, well, this is where this thing went awry, or they made the wrong decision here or there. It's really hard to know how to plot a course in this environment, um, because it costs money. If you're building an app that's relatively easy, um, you know, beer, pizza, and an internet connection, If you move to hardware, hardware, a lot of startups avoid hardware because of the complexities, because didn't know how aptly named hardware was. And then you get to uh, what I refer to as energetic hardware. When you start loading things up with significant pressures, the the force that comes out of these vehicles is, is not something to be treated lightly. We find ways to manage that risk appropriately, but it's still energetic hardware, and so it is difficult uh, plotting a course as an entrepreneur in this space. I think of some of your former neighbors right
0: here in Mojave at the airport uh, on this great property, x among them, a company that had great people, was headed toward a great product,
5: they are basically no more. On one hand, if we speak about this from the principal level, creative destruction is Hmm. The foundation of capitalism, and we have to accept that a failure of a business is is certainly an option. You can have a bad beat essentially, and that could put an end to your your plan. So, yeah, it is it is difficult, and we've seen. Uh, and we worked um, with XCOR closely. Uh, they were um, one of our co- uh, supporting contractors on a, on the big XS1 program. Um, we worked closely at the kind of uh, industry level with them and uh, the Commercial Spaceflight Federation. And so there's a lot of areas where we really um, appreciated working with them. And it was, I mean, to a certain degree out here in Mojave, there's also some level of camaraderie and mutual support. Yeah. Um, September 11th of 2012, we had a, a bad day of operation. No one was hurt, but the vehicle came down, but not exactly in the way that we wanted it to come down. <laughs> I'm out in the field trying to make sure A, the team's taken care of and B, let's figure out what we need to do. Um, immediately I was getting emails from other people, tenants on the airport. They weren't tweeting about it. They were letting us do our thing, but they were paying attention and they knew that we were flying and they were watching the flight and immediately got several notes of uh, support and encouragement as soon as it happened. And, and it's the same thing, You know, we've offered the same. Um, so there's, there's a lot of great innovation that happens out here. For folks who haven't been out to Mojave, the center of the airport is the Rotary Rocket. You can, you can see it from a distance. And it's a big spaceship-looking thing. And I call it a, the testament to failure. fact of the matter is, Rotary Rocket is another company that had a great idea that's not around anymore. But the work they did helped form the basis that Masten is now able to, to benefit from. The fact that you know the spaceport exists as a spaceport. Um, so all of us, when we, we come and we, we do the, the best work that we can, help move the bar forwards, hopefully we get to keep, yeah. you know, we get to come back and do the next turn and the next turn, but sometimes uh, things don't cut your way. So for, for Maston, we are extraordinarily fortunate. <laughs> hopefully we've been both lucky and good to be in the position that we are right now. The Lunar Lander Challenge was in 2009. By the twenty end of 2018, we expect that there will be several companies that will have a contract to deliver payloads to the surface of the moon.
0: And that is exactly where I wanted to go. The, the goal, where you hope Zodiac or its descendant will be taking your company and your, your customers,
5: and you're not the only one who wants to go to the moon, and that is uh, <clears throat> that's very fortunate. Uh, How'd you know I want to go? I, I I could tell. I can tell the people that come out to Mojave at this hour of the day, they have to they have to want to go. Uh, the direction for the company um, we've the company started with this idea a of reusability, which I know now everyone's like, oh, of course you can reuse rockets. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that that was not a foregone conclusion. It also started with the idea of a software approach to space development. Iterate, test frequently, things like that. It's a different development model, and that has that's what we have matured over these vehicles and other programs that we've done to date. Why, what does all of this get you? Well, when you have exquisite control of a, of a rocket-powered vehicle, you can then do things with it that you couldn't necessarily do before and it's in two camps one is you can reuse that vehicle in a way to reduce your cost for launching things we've seen some examples of that and the other side is you can get to places that are hard to reach places where helicopters and planes and parachutes may not meet the uh... the actual requirement um, places where there aren't runways and so from the landing side of our application the big and immediate opportunity is delivering payloads to the surface of the moon and the technology has application other areas as well but the moon is uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, we developed a couple of moon first t-shirts um, we've been focused on let's get regular commercial access to the moon and once that exists all of these other applications of that transportation service will have a a chance to to blossom. If a program to get one flight to the moon is a billion dollars, that's a bit of a large lift. If you can get a quarter of a billion dollars to deliver something to the surface, then you really have a chance to to open up that ecosystem. So it's it's a zero billion dollar market going Mm -hmm. to the moon. Why is it zero billion? Today it's zero. It will be a billion-dollar market. It's just today, it's zero billion, but it's going to be a lot more soon. And we
0: have heard something similar from, well, one of your competitors at least, Moon Express. They share your goal. They share your plans. You imply that uh, by the end of this year, you may be able to talk about some possible clients. Absolutely.
5: There's been some movement that has been public movement that has finally finally come to pass on this idea of taking things to the surface. So the NASA Catalyst Program has been running for a while where we have NASA resources to kind of meld with ours. Um, and it really has been a melding. They work with us just in this year. A lot of the plans have finally come together to have a NASA contract for commercial delivery to the surface of the moon. They're calling that CLIPS. Right now, the Draft RFP is out, and we're working towards, uh, NASA is working towards having a selection for an IDIQ contract. IDIQ? IDIQ contract. It's indefinite duration, indefinite quantity. It's the way, kind of funny, it's the way the government buys pens. They have a general (laughs) contract, and it says the pens are whatever price, and then once you're on that contract, the government can essentially, you don't have to negotiate. You just call up and go, okay, well, send me 10 pens. Applying that model to spaceflight is a different approach. What that means is we will have a rack rate price for delivery, and NASA can essentially issue a task order and say, great, we want to take this size payload, we want one of those. It's a firm fixed price. It, It sounds more like space, even getting to the moon, is being commodified. That is the direction of the future. And NASA now, by setting up this program, has identified this is a thing that we want. We're committing multiple years and multiple. It's a 2.6 billion dollar program over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's not nothing. <laughs> uh, and they're looking to st- they're looking to get 10 to 15 flights out of that. And yes, there are there are future vehicles that are in construction now Mm -hmm. um they're not here in the aviary because this is for ones that are already built um but there are uh, a few more vehicles that are in process and will be hopefully flying here in the near future how do you feel about the general direction of
0: space policy in the united states i get the feeling you're relatively pleased
5: i am very pleased um Overall, it has been a great turn that I have seen. Just from my limited time, I'm eight years in in the business, and I have seen the the shift, Uh, I've seen the acceptance of we can take a different approach. To accessing and using space, um, and that is at the um, the public level. That's at the company level. That's at the big company level. It's at the billionaire level. It's at the NASA level. It's at the DoD level. There, there is definitely a shift that uh, has happened, even in that small period of time. I am bullish on this opportunity, not only for Masten, but for other companies as well, to really unlock the potential that exists. How about the opportunity to work with another relatively
0: small company like Honeybee to combine forces in the way you have here? I mean, it's right there on the leg of that spacecraft. Excuse me, that rocket.
5: No, it didn't. (laughs) 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 We get so many different names for what we want to call it. Call it a vehicle. Call it. Anyway. it has been great to, to work with Honeybee. We have worked with groups from student groups. We've worked with competitors. It's a, it is a small, let me just mention, if you don't know this already, it is a very small world. You know, customers will wind up being competitors, will wind up being, you. You're sometimes you're working together and sometimes you're working on different teams. It, it's all part of it. You've got to be able to understand that and not, not get too caught in your mind of, oh, well, they're a competitor. No, we're all trying to move this thing forward and together. In, in this case, we, we were supported by NASA uh, has, inside of their space technology mission director, at this flight opportunities program. NASA is putting uh, 250K, I mean, 250 and 300K into a demonstration program it's a grant to a payload developer. There's a group known as the Planetary Society. I think you're familiar with them. They uh, they also were able to come and bring some financial resources to support the work that had already been done at Honeybee. And so while it is great working with a small company, it's also great working with large government groups. It's mm-hmm. great working with uh public, uh, nonprofits, you know, finding the ways to bring teams together to actually make things work. Um, it's been great, and uh, thank you, uh, and thank all of the supporters that supported uh, the Planetary Society in this as well.
0: You're very welcome, uh, on behalf of the Society and our members. I know nothing about your prior entrepreneurial experience, but you're now with this small company in the desert, small team. What's the feeling as, as everybody works toward
5: shooting at the moon? Right now, today, I am trying really hard to keep my enthusiasm chained up a little bit. Um, it, it has been many, many years of working towards the point where there is a, a real opportunity for us to apply the technology and apply the business practices that we had to that end goal of landing something on the moon. Um, and it's real today in a way that it has never been in Hmm. the history of the company so the flip side of that is there's a lot of work (laughs) Uh, and so there's a there's a big mountain for us uh and so there is there's there's a combination of enthusiasm and a little bit of trepidation but and this is a this is a key thing for entrepreneurship and a key thing especially in space this isn't our first time at this iteration 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 we've got five vehicles that have built and flown we've got you know, multiple contracts we've worked with. we've worked with all these different organizations we've had different contract structures that we've worked with so we're at a position now and we've by the way we've grown the team and shrunk the team so we've been through these cycles and so while we know that there's a big mountain ahead of us we at least are confident that we have learned some things over the you know, 15 years of the company, and we're poised well now to take advantage of this opportunity in a way that we never could have been able to before. We feel really excited and energized about this, this near future. It's going to be fun to watch.
0: I'll just wish you the best of luck, and more important, the best of success. And, and thank you, Sean.
5: Thank you, and thank your listeners. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch it's going to be really fun to do it and we're always looking for more folks that want to do it so uh, if you want to if you want to move from the the watcher to the doer you're a doer so don't even you're you're participating in all this stuff i hold microphones yeah. in front of people right. it's it's everyone serves their role in helping us move this thing forward so thank you very much you're very welcome sean mahoney
0: ceo of maston space systems We've put lots of great resources on this week's show page, including a link to the brand-new Planetary Post from Robert Picardo. It features video footage of the planet Zodiac test. You'll find it all at planetary.org slash radio. What's Up with Bruce Betts is next. Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Bruce Betts, the guy that we've uh, heard a little bit of over the uh, course of this episode out there at the uh, PlanetVac Zodiac test. Uh, He's the chief scientist for the Planetary Society. Welcome. Thank you. How are you doing, Matt? Very well. I sure enjoyed that trip.
2: Me too. It's always nice to watch cool rockets and
0: successful uh, sampling prototype experiments. And I have a prize for the contest this week, which is related to that test. We'll reveal that in a couple of minutes after you've told us uh, all the other stuff that you tell us every week, including what's up in the night sky.
2: Oh, I can hardly wait. So in the night sky, we still got Venus dominating low in the west after sunset, looking super bright. Turn yourself all the way around and you will see super bright Jupiter over in the east, southeast, and uh, then we've got Saturn coming up not too long after sunset, looking yellowish low in the east, and then around midnight, a little before midnight, Mars coming up, getting brighter and brighter and brighter over the coming weeks. So check it out. We move on to this week in space history. It's been 15 years since the launch of Spirit, the Spirit rover, that had several good years on Mars. Still on Mars, just not working right now.
0: Fifteen years, so uh, we're coming up on the opportunity anniversary too, I guess. We
2: are. We're just doing one after another the way those launch periods work. So uh, we did Mars Express last week, I believe. Yeah, I've I've got a guest uh, guest for you coming up here.
6: Random space
0: factor. Wow! <laughs> Who was that mass man?
6: I'm going to college. <laughs> that,
2: that, that was my son Daniel doing to quote him: bad singing version of random space fact.
0: I think that was quite bad. Thank you, Daniel. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, chip off the old block.
2: Well, except that when he actually wants to, he sings magnificently. Yes. And when I want to, I still same sing, sing the same as when I'm
0: trying to sing badly. I've heard him sing extremely well on stage in uh, in Broadway musicals. All right, so
2: we move on to the fact the supermassive black hole at the galactic center, the center of the Milky Way galaxy, has about 4.3 million solar masses. So its mass of the black hole is 4.3 million times the mass of the sun, which already
0: is pretty darn massive. And you know what that supermassive black hole is saying right now? What? What's for lunch? <laughs> well, now you're just making me
2: hungry. That's a good one. Thank you. We move on to the trivia contest. I asked you, what hardware did the Planetary Society provide to the Phoenix Mars mission? How do we do, Matt?
0: Wow, what a response. I'd love to think it's just you and me, but I suspect uh, the, that book... Chasing New Horizons from uh, its authors, Alan Stern, the principal investigator for the New Horizons mission, and uh, David Grinspoon, who contributed to the mission as a scientist and uh, worked on the book with Alan. I think that's probably what pulled in a near record number of entries and so many people who had wonderful things to say about the radio show. I I am so far behind on saying thank you to uh, so many of you, but I'm going to try and get caught up. Random.org. Just say thank you. Thank you. No, it has to be more personal. Random.org selected Michael O'Dell from Lake Mary, Florida, who I think hears us there on WMFE Orlando, uh, which uh, we are very proud that Planetary Radio is part of that station's lineup. He said it was the DVD that the Planetary Society created and was uh, mounted on the surface of the Phoenix Lander, correct?
2: That is correct. Would you like more information or are we going to hear more information?
0: I got a little bit, but uh, tell us what you've got. Well, I'm
2: personally familiar with it. It was a silica glass mini DVD containing over a quarter million names of people who wanted to send their names to Mars and members of the Planetary Society. And Visions of Mars, a collection of Mars fiction art and radio, as well as greetings to future explorers from Earthlings, including Carl Sagan and Arthur C.
0: Clarke. We um, had several listeners uh, refer to it as the first library on Mars. Indeed. So, Michael, Michael O'Dell, congratulations. You got yourself that signed hardcover copy of Chasing New Horizons and a 200-point itelescope.net account, that uh, worldwide network of uh, telescopes that anybody can use. You know, in Australia, every year they do this huge three-day live thing called Stargazing Live. And uh, they just did it Uh, a few days ago, earlier in May. There's a wonderful segment that features iTelescope and some young people using the system to uh, get some beautiful images of a distant galaxy. Uh, They had more than 40,000 people down under who were watching the sky on the evening of May 23rd. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty envious. That is very cool we'll put up a link to that YouTube video because uh, it is pretty cool. The whole stargazing live thing is uh, is very, very cool. We did, of course, get some more stuff. Ken McAdams in Apex, North Carolina, he said while he was researching this, he found a page on our own website, planetary.org, that lists many, if not all, of the uh, space missions, uh, planetary science missions that have names on board. And if you can't Recall if your name's included, there are links that take you to uh, lists of some of the people. So we'll put that link up as well. Uh, Jordan Sorensen in New York, New York. He says that uh, it's especially amazing that we sent a DVD because he already can't play his DVDs on his own computer. (laughs) (laughs) Obsolescence.
2: Well, hopefully uh, future explorers will have more resources. We also included text as
0: defining the standards that were used on that mini DVD. That's excellent. That's like how they included the stylus uh, with the golden record on the Voyager uh, missions, Voyagers 1 and 2. This is my favorite one from Adam Kojokar in uh, Calgary, Canada. This may be the only DVD in the universe that my dog won't be able to steal and eat. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we can make it happen. Mel Powell has um, been getting into our secret files, apparently. Mel in Sherman Oaks, California. He says, rumor has it, a stray post-it note with Bruce Betts' grocery list was accidentally stuck to the DVD case before it was shipped. I can neither confirm nor deny that. (laughs) Robert Laporta in Avon, Connecticut. Too bad it was not the Mars microphone that the Mars Polar Lander carried. It crashed, of course, before we could hear the sounds of Mars, but uh, well, we're working on that, right? Can we say anything about that?
2: Yeah, we're working with the uh, Mars 2020 SuperCam team who is including a microphone that will not only be able to hear Mars sounds but do a little bit of science with their instrument. When they a rock with a laser, it'll hear the, the crack. We're working with them uh, on the education outreach side. But yes, we, we think we will finally... Finally, get sounds. And uh, Phoenix actually included a microphone, but due to technical issues, it was uh, never actually uh, obtained
0: data. We'll keep trying. Dave Fairchild, our poet laureate. Silica glass is what scientists use to fashion a small DVD that sits on the deck of the Phoenix on Mars, embedded in icy debris. It carries a fourth of a million of names that range from the small to the great. Our members are listed because you all gifted this top hits. 2008 i think he's getting even better (laughs) it's good stuff i got one more to follow up with this from mark pretty in hearst texas it gives me giggles that we sent mars thoughts to mars as a sort of time capsule for our future selves likely or a glimpse of humanity for aliens it could happen Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everybody. Oh, and by the way, thank you, Mark Sulfridge, who I failed to credit last week. I simply forgot when I used a whole bunch of his interesting uh, facts about the amazing life of uh, John Young, who uh, we were talking about last week. And now we're finally ready to go on to the next contest.
2: It's about time to uh, engage people's imaginative brains out there. What would you call the supermassive black hole? at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. If you had a chance to name it, what would you call it? We will judge based upon whatever our whim is at the time, things like cleverness, (laughs) pseudo-realism, and uh, humor. Go to planetary.org
0: slash radio contest. I am thrilled. I wish I could enter this. Tell your friends, everyone. don't don't hog it. I can't wait to read uh, the best of these. You have until Wednesday, June 13th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us the answer. We have a pretty special prize. Well, we have itelescope.net, the 200-point account worth a couple hundred dollars US. You heard us talk from the Mojave about what happened to the concrete pad that the Zodiac rocket basically cooked. I have a piece of concrete turned into glass that uh, we will give to the uh, first place winner of this latest contest that uh, Bruce has just given us. I have it in my hand. It's very cool. It's black glass on top and concrete on the bottom. And it's pretty delicate, but we'll, we'll pack it very carefully. I think we're done. All right, everybody
2: go out there, look up the night sky and think about your favorite shape of pasta noodle or why there are so many shapes of pasta noodle. Thank you, and good night.
0: You know, I love the shapes, but they all taste like pasta. He's Bruce Betts. He's the uh, chief scientist for the Planetary Society, who joins us every week for What's Up. Arrivederci. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its rocket-powered members. Mary Liz Bender is our associate producer. Josh Doyle composed our theme which was arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. I'm Matt Kaplan at Astro.